Leviticus chapter 3, And if his oblation be a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offer it of the herd, whether it be a male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand upon the head of his offering, and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood upon the altar round about. And he shall offer of the sacrifice of the peace offering, an offering made by fire unto the Lord. The fat that covereth the inwards, and all the fat that is upon the inwards, and the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them, which is by the flanks, and the call above the liver, with the kidneys, it shall he take away. And Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt sacrifice, which is upon the wood that is on the fire. It is an offering made by fire of a sweet savour unto the Lord. Tonight I consider with you the peace offering. This chapter 3 of Leviticus is divided into three paragraphs according to which animal is offered in the peace offering. Verses 1 through to 5, the peace offering of cattle. Verses 6 through to 11, the peace offering of sheep. And verses 12 through to 17, the peace offering of goats. Keep in mind that not all the details are found in chapter 3 in regard to the ritual of the peace offering. Further detail is given in other parts of Leviticus and especially in chapter 7. So if I say something in the course of this sermon and you don't see it in chapter 3, it is because I am drawing from other parts of Scripture. There are two important words that distinguish this sacrifice. The first is peace. If his oblation be a sacrifice of peace offering. Its name is derived from the Hebrew greeting shalom, peace. We all want peace. The world wants peace and yet can never find it. There are always wars and conflicts and strifes, always fights and arguments, always differences that separate and cause trouble. And when there is no peace, there is no fellowship, no communion between people or between nations if they are in conflict. The other important term for this offering is food. You find that in verse 11. It is the food of the offering made by fire unto the Lord. And again in verse 16, the priest shall burn them upon the altar. It is the food of the offering made by fire for a sweet savour. All the fat is the Lord's. We don't read in this chapter all the details about eating the offering, except a prohibition is emphasized in verse 17, that you eat neither fat nor blood. But in other portions we know that it was eaten. 
especially Leviticus chapter 7. So it is a, a fellowship offering. It is a, a, an offering that is eaten by the worshipper and by priests. And it is called the food offering to God. And the emphasis here in this chapter then is that it is God's part in the fellowship. His part of the meal. The Godward part. In chapter 7 we see the manward part, what the priests and what the worshippers can eat of the peace offering. In old times, especially in the East, people who were at odds with each other and were reconciled, sat down together for a meal. The meal together was the sign of restored and renewed fellowship, the sign that there was peace, a sign that there was no animosity and no enmity and no conflict between those at the meal. People at odds cannot sit together to fellowship. You see this illustrated in the life of Jacob and his father-in-law Laban. The enmity between them was great over the years. And eventually Jacob sneaked away, as we know, with his family. And Laban came after him, pursuing him. There was nearly a war, but instead they made covenant. And they offered a sacrifice and had a meal together. But not only are men at odds with one another. It's not just that the Jacobs of this world are at odds with the Labans of this world and the nations are at enmity with other nations. It's, it's not just a problem among men. There's something worse than that. Men are at odds with God. Men do not have peace with God. And there's enmity between God and men. And because men do not have peace with God, of course, that's a major reason why they don't and can't have peace among themselves. And so there's another illustration in the scriptures that illustrate this matter of peace between God and men. And it is in regard to the history of Jacob, not the individual man, but Jacob the nation. And God is in Mount Sinai. And the nation of Israel are below in the plain. And we know that Moses came down from Sinai and he had a word, he had a message from God. He told the people all the words of the Lord, all the judgments, and brought the words of the covenant to them. And he wrote all the words down. And then we read that he, he built an altar. He set up ten pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And on that altar they offered sacrifices. The Bible says that he sent young men of the children of Israel, which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. So there were the burnt offerings first, and then there were the peace offerings, just like in Leviticus here. That's the order. And Moses, he took half of the blood, he put it in basins and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. He took the book of the covenant. He read it in the audience of the people. And he took the blood and he sprinkled it on the people. 
And he said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. And the Bible says they saw the God of Israel. And upon the nobles and of the children of Israel, it says they also saw God. So the children of Israel, they saw God and did eat and drink. There was a covenant. There were sacrifices. There was the scene of God, the God revealing himself. There was the fellowship. There was the sitting down together to eat and drink in the presence of God. And so there's this wonderful fellowship. And we really have to contemplate and think about that. This nation that had been taken out of darkness, taken out of Egypt, taken out of all the bondage. And now here it is, it's sitting and eating and drinking in the presence of God. And the Lord is among them and with them. And he's made covenant with them. And he's brought them into his fellowship. This eating and drinking is is a sign and symbol of that. Just like at the Lord's table. It's so significant. And this is probably the offering that is uh, most like the Lord's table in, in so many ways. And this in the tabernacle here in the book of Leviticus is just like that what had happened at the foot of Mount Sinai. Every worshipper from Leviticus until Christ finally ends Levitical worship, every worshipper is reminded. You can have the experience of the nation that it had at Sinai. You can enjoy the Lord. You can be partaker of the covenant. You can come into the fellowship. You can eat and drink at his table. Every sincere worshipper is taught that from the book of Leviticus. You can have fellowship with God. God has a covenant. He calls men to peace with him on the grounds of the sacrifice and the atoning blood. And there can be fellowship with him. Now, of course, all of this is in reality, only experienced in and through Jesus Christ. Only Christ is our peace. Only he can unite us to God. Only he can, as it were, unite us to the Father through himself and unite us to one another in himself as a body. Only Christ does this. He's the peace offering. This is the only answer, the Lord Jesus, the peace offering. He is our peace, Paul says, who hath made both one and have broken down the middle wall of partition between us. The Lord has done this in his sacrifice. So Christ is our peace offering. He's the fulfillment of Leviticus chapter 3. We can all sit down together in the fellowship meal through the one who has died for us in our stead. In Christ we can all come together in the great supper of the Lamb and have wonderful peace and wonderful fellowship with God. Only in Christ. Remember how the prophet said, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And he's all these wonderful titles revealing what he is to us in God's grace 
and one of them is the Prince of Peace. He's the one who has brought peace between God and sinners. Remember how in Colossians Paul wrote, he said, having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, this is something that God has done through the blood of Christ to reconcile all things unto himself. To bring about this great peace. And Paul could write to the Colossian believers, you who were alienated, you who were enemies with God in your mind, and you manifested that by your wicked works and by your wicked lives, yet now hath he reconciled. He's done it in Christ. And Christ is all and in all in regard to peacemaking with God. And so God is reconciled through Christ. And this third chapter of Leviticus illustrates that, pictures that as a type of that. Peace is made with God through the once for all offering. And God and the sinner sit down to fellowship together. Now in this offering in chapter 3, female beasts could be used and only some parts of the victim went to the burnt altar because the emphasis is upon eating the beast and there are parts that remain for the worshipper to eat. The meal is the focus in the peace offering. The camera is upon it as food. That is probably why birds are not used because of the lack of meat because of the scarcity of good provision for a fellowship meal. The offering, again, as I say, pictures Christ. The offering is to be without blemish, verse 1. He shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. It's to be offered unto the Lord. There is a laying on of hands by the offerer. He shall lay his hands upon the head of his offering and kill it. So there's an acknowledgement that this beast is in his stead, that the sin is transferred to the beast, that through this representative and this substitute, sin will be dealt with, and there'll be the reconciliation with God. So that's all portrayed in that here, just as in the burnt offering. Then there's a priestly work, the obtaining of the blood, by the priests who are to sprinkle it upon the altar round about. This time only some of the cut parts go on the altar. Not like the burnt offering where all the parts were divided and all the parts went on to the altar. Here there is just the, the fat that covereth the inwards and all the fat that is upon the inwards and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them which is by the flanks And the call above the liver with the kidneys, it shall he take away. And Aaron's sons, they put it on the altar. They actually put it on top of the burnt sacrifice. And it's offered on to God. They're burnt, these parts. They're burnt on the grounds of the burnt sacrifice. Which has already been offered that morning. And and the burning carcass is still present as this voluntary 
peace offering is brought by the worshipper. And so the burnt offering is always first. That's foundational. And everything else is on the grounds of the burnt offering and goes on top of it, so, so to speak. All on the grounds of the Lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. Now the thing about this sacrifice of peace offering is that it was not as common as the burnt offering. It wasn't daily. The other two, the burnt offering and the meal offering, they were daily in the nation, morning and evening. But this peace offering, it's spontaneous, it's optional. It's totally a free will offering on the worshippers' part. I think it was only prescribed nationally for one day in the year on the day of Pentecost. But there were certain times when it could be offered. It could be offered as a thanksgiving for a wonderful providence, a time of blessing perhaps in the worshipper's life, some goodness from God that has been very manifest, and it is a a thanksgiving for that kindness and goodness. Uh, Such a time might be the time of harvest, or some singular mercy received, or some deliverance. It could be a time of distress, time of danger, a time of some trial, where the worshipper needs assurance and comfort. Or it could be at the time of a vow. You have made a vow to God. The Lord has kept his word and given you your answer to prayer, and you want to keep your vow. And your word and this offering is maybe made to relate that to God and to accompany your keeping your vow, your keeping your part. And so this peace offering may be offered at such a time in relation to vows. But in all of this, there is a recognition of the sacrifice. There's no peace without the sacrifice. There, there, no wrath, no judgment in trials and afflictions. And God is not angry in, in, in them, those trials and judgments, and that there are only chastisements of a son or a daughter. Because of the sacrifice, because of the lamb. It's the lamb that makes the peace. And if you have the lamb, if the lamb is the center of the fellowship, you're at peace with God. And any troubles and trials you're going through are not judgments, not divine wrath. Blessings coming to you, abundant blessings. And you want to acknowledge them and thank God for them. You're acknowledging and you're thanking God from them for them as coming from heaven, but they're coming to you because of the Lamb. They're coming to you because of the sacrifice, because of Christ. And they come through Christ. And so the fellowship and communion and a meal at a table with God because of the sacrifice. So that's the kind of idea that's prevalent in this chapter of Leviticus and in the peace offering. There are two sides to the meal table, two sides to the fellowship, in the center of which is the lamb. There's man's side, And man partakes of the fellowship through the Lamb with God. And there's God's side. Uh, Man is, as it were, 
satisfied and has fellowship through Christ through the sacrifice, but also God. God is satisfied and has fellowship through the sacrifice. It's all through through Christ. It's all through the Lamb slain. John writes about this fellowship. His first epistle is largely about this, and especially in the first chapter. That which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you, that you may have fellowship with us. That's why he wrote about the fellowship with God, about this Christian fellowship with the Father. Truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. There's no fellowship with the one without the other. It's fellowship with the Father and it's fellowship with Christ and through Christ. And John is writing this epistle to them because he wants them to have peace. He wants them to have joy. He wants them to be resting in the fellowship and enjoying the fellowship and having great peace with God. And he says, I'm writing this that your joy may be full, that you may have peace. We have fellowship with him. But if we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, just like in the light of the tabernacle in the most holy place. If we walk in the light of his word, we have fellowship, one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So you have the sacrifice, you have the lamb, you have the atoning blood here. That's maintaining the fellowship because the child of God, he can be cleansed by the blood, he can be washed through the Savior, and he can enjoy the fellowship. If he sins and he falls and he he does and may do, if we confess our sins, John says, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so the, the fellowship can be enjoyed, it can be restored, but it's always through the blood of Christ. And really you have to bring 1 John chapter 1 to Leviticus chapter 3. Peace offering reminds us of all that John says. The peace offering satisfies God. It brings the savour of sweetness and of peace to God. And he rests in the sacrifice of the Lamb. And on the grounds of that rests in his people. And so you see in chapter 3 here, there is this emphasis on the Sweet savour that is unto the Lord going up. And he's receiving that. This satisfaction that he has in the offering. Verse 5. It is an offering made by fire of a sweet savour unto the Lord. Verse 11. It is the food of the offering made by fire unto the Lord. There you have it again in verse 16. It is the food of the offering made by fire for a sweet savour. It's the Lord who is receiving this and he's satisfied. And it is the Lord Jesus then, pictured by this sacrifice, this peace offering, that brings us into the fellowship. We're thinking about Christ tonight then. We're thinking about the one who reconciles us to God. 
and the one through whom God blesses us and fellowships with us and we with him. Christ. I want you to observe all the parts especially that go to God in the peace offering. What does God feed on? This bread of offering, this food of offering that the chapter talks about for God. What does God delight in? And he gets the best parts of the sacrifice. The best and the most important parts of the offering. Of course, he gets all the blood. Verse 17. The worshipper is not to eat the fat, nor the blood. The blood is not fed on by the worshipper. The blood is... To God. Verse 2. Aaron's sons, they take the blood and they sprinkle the blood upon the altar round about. It is the blood of sprinkling. It's all sprinkled Godward. God gets the life. The life is in the blood. The life given in sacrifice. The blood of atonement. The blood of propitiation. And the Father delights in the once for all offering of his Son, Jesus Christ. Calvary, where the blood was shed. Where the blood was poured out in sacrifice to God when Christ offered his body and soul in the offering. The Father delights in that offering. Calvary brings a sweet savor of rest to the Father. The sacrifice as an atonement is holy Godward. We go on to the blood of sprinkling. The blood of sprinkling has been sprinkled Godward. The sacrifice is Godward. He died for men in the place of men, but he died toward God. He offered himself to God. And so we are to walk in love as Christ loved us and has given himself for us. He did it for us. But the offering and the sacrifice was to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And so all the blood is Godward. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And so the blood of sprinkling is seen as in heaven, as in the presence of God. We've come on to the blood of sprinkling. As the Bible says, the Father has obtained all of that. The price has been paid. The ransom has been given. The redemption has been obtained. And sinners have been redeemed, not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. God gets all the blood. And God gets all the fat too. Because it says there, the fat that covereth the inwards and all the fat that is upon the inwards. The fat's to be taken out of the deep places 
All of it is to be removed and it's, it's going to the altar. It's going to be burned. It's part of the food of the offering unto God. And the fat is the best. And the fat is coming, is coming from the, the, the deep inwards. Remember Abel? He brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. And so we read here in verse 16, The priest shall burn them upon the altar. It is the food of the offering made by fire for a sweet savour. All the fat is the Lord's. All of it. Do you see that? The fat is the Lord's. He gets the best part. It is to be a perpetual statute for your generations throughout all your dwellings that ye eat neither fat nor blood. And so the fat is all God's too. Now in ancient times, especially in Israel, the fat was considered the best part of the animal. For food it was considered rich. We view fat as nearly the worst part of the beast, as unhealthy. I suppose if we were hard working and using plenty of energy, it would probably not be so. But whatever, it's all God's. You know, fat makes fat. We're not allowed to make ourselves fat on the offerings of God. You remember how this was the sin of Eli's sons. They took the fat. They disregarded the commandments of God. They made themselves fat on the offerings. That is, they took the fat and they made themselves fat. No reverence, no obedience, no recognition of God's requirements, no recognition of God's satisfaction at all. They trampled upon the sacrifices. They withheld the fat. They did despite to this type of Christ. They got fat on the offerings. And all the while they had no appreciation whatsoever for the offering of God, for the sacrifice of Christ. Men and women, only God can feed on Christ's sacrifice in respect of all its richness and all its vitality. Only he knows how rich the sacrifice of Christ was that was offered to him. He gets all the fat. He can appreciate it. He understands it all. He can enter into the deep things of the sacrifice. He can go way down into the depths of the sacrifice. And as it were, uh, enjoy and appreciate all the fatness of it. We taste something of Christ. But the Father knows all the rich value of his dear Son, the Lamb of God offered as a sacrifice for our sins. And so God gets the fat from the deep inwards. The richness of Christ crucified. The fullness of the appreciation of what has taken place there and the great cost 
And it so satisfies the Father and so pleases the Father. And he's so pleased with his well-beloved Son. Not only does God get in this offering the blood and the fat, he gets some of the deep inward parts as well. The kidneys are identified, the two kidneys. And that tissue, that fat that is around them by the flanks, and the call above or over the liver. So the kidneys are mentioned and the liver is mentioned. And this, what is called the call, may be a lobe of the liver or connected with the liver or perhaps an organ near the liver. But whatever their, their deep inward parts, way within, near the heart, vital, essential organs for life, and among some of the biggest and heaviest organs in the body. We're talking about the inward life. God wants the inward part. God wants the heart of a man. And uh, thinking about worship and Worshipping God, we should worship him from our inwards, from our heart and from our soul and deep within, from the affections, with the life and soul, God is to be worshipped. And whenever Christ gave himself a sacrifice to God, in the real and true sacrifice that Jesus Christ made, there must be the heart and soul in it by the offer by Christ. You know, it's not not only enough that Jesus died, and the death of Christ is not just about obtaining the blood. It's about the way that blood was shed. It's about the way that life is given. It's about the way that sacrifice is offered. And that sacrifice came from the inwards from deep within, from the Lord's will and the Lord's affection and the Lord's desire, the Lord's emotions. When Christ gave himself, he didn't just die. He died in a certain way, offering himself wholly to God in obedience, giving himself in love, giving himself with holy affections, giving himself without Sin, and not only without sin, but with utter holiness, with complete reverence, with full hearty desire. This is so important that it come from within, that it come from deep within, that it come from the heart. And Christ gave himself, and he gave his heart, he gave his deep inwards unto God. Now in the Bible, the kidneys are, the, are pictured as the reins within a man. The seat of his desires, of his will, of his affections. The place where we feel, you know, the, the kidneys are very tender. Uh, and our hurt to the kidneys is, is, is felt immensely and deeply. And so the ancient people, they looked upon the kidneys as the seat of feeling, as the seat of affection, as the seat of the desires in a man, the reign, the will, 
what he likes, what he hates, as it were, there in the, in the kidneys. And very often in the Bible, the kidneys are associated with the heart. Uh, the psalmist very often brings these two together. The righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. And that word is the same word here as kidneys in Leviticus chapter 3. He trieth the hearts and the kidneys. Now obviously this is a reference to the inward of a man. He tries his desires. He tries his will. What does he like? What does he want in life? What pleases him? The Lord tries the righteous man to draw this out. And the Lord gets the kidneys of the sacrifice. He gets the, 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 the reins in the sacrifice. Remember how the psalmist said, examine me, Lord, prove me, try my reins and my heart. Thus my heart was grieved, Asaph said, and I was pricked in my reins. His heart's broken, his heart's sad, and his reins feel it, his kidneys feel it. They feel the prick, they feel the hurt, they're sensitive to grief. Remember how the prophet Jeremiah said, they grow, yea, they bring forth fruit. You've planted them, Lord, they've taken root. And you're near in their mouth. But Lord, you're far from their reins. As the prophet puts it in another place, far from their heart. Far from the heart and far from the reins is, are, are, are similar ideas. The, the, the affections, the love, the desire. And in the sacrifice of Christ, God watches for that in the offering. He watches the reins of his Christ. He watches the desire and the love and the affections of his Christ. And he wants the reins and the heart of his Son in human flesh to be wholly engaged in the sacrifice of himself. The Father watches for that. And the Father is satisfied with that when he sees that to perfection in his Christ. And so he is making himself, the Lord Jesus, an offering for sin. And he is giving himself. And those reins deep within are fully engaged in that. And God says, the reins are for me. The Father appreciates the offering of Christ. He understands all that's involved in it. We, we, understand, we know so little. We can't appreciate the richness. We don't get the kidneys to, as it were, partake of. Because we cannot appreciate it's for God that. That's hidden. That's concealed. Now, I really am inadequate, I must confess, to describe the richness of the sacrifice and offering of Jesus Christ. No man can do it. In fact, I doubt words can be found to even begin to explain 
all the value and richness of the reigns of Jesus Christ. But here is a picture of all that is precious in Christ's affections and will and emotions going to God. And he appreciates them. And he values them. And he has fellowship with the sinner on the grounds of them. What a saviour is Jesus Christ. What an offering it is when he offered himself. The once for all offering. No wonder it finished every sacrifice. No wonder it ended all the rest. It was enough. The wonders of his cross. And the Father sees the sufferings. And he's satisfied with the offering. He sees the travail of his soul in its deep inwardness and is satisfied. I'm talking about all the feelings of Christ and his service to his Father that we know nothing about. All those feelings that the sinless man of Calvary had, which are foreign to us, they're all known to God. Food for God. What delight they bring him. What sweetness. What food for the Father. Christ's work satisfies. It is enough. And on the grounds of that, you can rest, sinner. And you can rest, people of God who believe in Jesus. And all your doubts can go. And all your servile fears can vanish. And you can come and sit with the Father through Jesus Christ. You can be satisfied and rest in Christ. Because the Father is satisfied and rests in Christ. You can glory in the cross as the Father glories in the cross. And you can enjoy the fellowship with God on the same grounds as He enjoys fellowship with you through His Christ. So we meet in Christ. I will meet with you there, God says. Peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have this fellowship table. Remember at his birth, the birth of our dear Lord, it was announced from heaven. God sent the covenant message. Accompany his Christ, who is soon to be the peace offering. What what was the message from heaven? Peace on earth. Good will toward men. That's what the gospel is. That's what this peace offering is, which comes from God. It's his covenant of peace that he brings to men, that he offers to men, that he invites men to come and receive peace. Through the blood of his cross. Bless his name.
the name of the Father who sent his Christ, his Son, and the name of the Son who gave himself thus, and the name of the Holy Spirit, who in all of this glorious work of redemption is also participating in his infinite love and kindness. And so to the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one that believers have fellowship with, the one and true living God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.